Welcome to the Arrangers Podcast. I'm Aaron Hedenstrom. And I'm Drew Zaremba. The Arrangers Podcast is a show dedicated to insightful discussion about the art, craft, and business of music arranging and composition. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us your questions at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. And on Twitter at The Arrangers Pod. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Arrangers podcast. Aaron, we've made 10 episodes. I can hardly believe it. That's so cool. Thank you, all the listeners who are tuning in, and to our new listeners, thank you for tuning in for the first time. Well, we're very excited to bring you this 10th episode, and... In celebration of our 10th episode, we're going to do 10 ways of breaking into the arranging scene, at least according to Aaron and Drew. We've had some successes getting into this scene, and we're going to hopefully give you some tips. Some of them are musically based, and some of them are business based. So in today's musical economy, you really have to be good at both to make it. Uh, particularly as a composer and arranger. So we're going to offer our 10 nuggets, and we hope that you find them really useful. Aaron, what's number one? All right, well, number one is something that I think is really, really useful, which is write every day. It is just like practicing an instrument. If you are wanting to get really good at an instrument or um, a sport or anything else, Practicing every day is the best way to get better and to move forward with what you're doing. I think breaking into the arranging scene, it kind of assumes that you're somebody that really wants to, to do the work and to spend the time every day in, you know, sitting at the piano or, or wherever you compose and working on the music. And I think writing every day just helps you to get into a nice creative zone. No doubt about it. Our teacher, Rich DeRosa, always says the difference between someone who enjoys writing music and a writer, as in a real composer or arranger, is a real writer and composer finishes their compositions. And you really only learn how to finish your tunes if you are regularly writing and regularly finishing pieces. And so even if it's really terrible, even if you feel like it's not a good composition, forcing yourself to write will allow you to force yourself to write when there's a really big deadline on the line. So practicing the habit of writing every day and forcing yourself to do something, it helps It helps me overcome writer's block because forcing a deadline on yourself really says, okay, this has to get done. I have no choice in the matter. We got to get this done. Writing every day only sharpens your tools. Absolutely. And and for Drew and I, it's, it's basically become our, our job, you know, and for many of you, maybe you want to do this as like a side hustle and you want to do some arranging on the side and, and maybe you want to do it full time or some semblance of both. And, you know, just getting into those good daily habits. If you were going to a day job at a, at a bank, you know, you can't just take days off, right? I mean, you, unless you're have a good reason to do so. As musicians, I think we thrive best when we have that regular daily habit of doing something. 
and another thing is, and this is a book that I would really recommend. I just finished reading it. It's called The Talent Code, and it's basically about it's about the way that people master a skill and about how basically what he calls talent hotbeds develop. He calls these talent hotbeds where basically you get all these talented people coming from one area of the world and kind of dominating their area of expertise. And one interesting part about that was it wasn't so much that there was this magical secret, but it was just the people that really learn how to master a skill are the ones that are just doing the little things every day and developing those habits so that their brain can can master something over time. And so that's mm. something that I really took to heart because, um, you know, it's really easy as a self-employed musician and as a creative person to kind of be all over the place, be scatterbrained. I know that I tend to be scatterbrained if I don't create habits in my life. And so for me, that was a really, really cool thing just to realize it's really not a, about some magical secret that the people who are successful and who break into the, to the music scene successfully are just some magically gifted person. No, they've put in the time, you know. There's very few, if I would argue, there's probably nobody that has achieved success without putting in a fair degree of work and effort. Yep, exactly, Aaron. And this flows into our second point, number two, which is how will you write every day is by listening, by searching for new sounds and genres and getting inspired to write. Not everything is going to come from your heart and be super original and, you know, transcendent. So um, you have to fill your mind and mind's ear with a rich musical diet of many different things. Jazz, classical, pop, funk, world music, Chinese opera, if you're me. <laughs> and so um, your ability to be a good musician and having a, having a skilled work is really dependent on your musical diet. You can't produce or arrange something if you don't know what it's going to sound like. And the way that you learn what it sounds like is by listening. I, I think if you're in the music business, if you're either doing it full-time or part-time, you probably got into the whole thing by listening, right? I mean, I remember for me, I fell in love with music by listening to recordings and by going to live concerts and um, and by falling in love with pieces by George Gershwin and by Charlie Parker and by any number of other great musicians from history, I am more creative and more inspired if I'm listening to things um, on a regular basis. And sometimes that means picking up a, a vinyl record from, you know, an antique store for two bucks, just some random thing and putting it in and seeing what it sounds like. Right. Sometimes it's getting recommendations from a friend, checking out what's new out there. Sometimes it's going back 200 years and listening to some really old classical piece. But, uh, I think just keeping your ears fresh, keeping your mind in the game by listening to new stuff, challenging your palate, I think is a really, really uh, critical. I was going to say useful, but I, I think it's even more than that. I think it's absolutely essential. Yeah, pushing your own musical boundaries, staying inspired and learning from other people's music, including your colleagues. It's essential, like you said, Aaron. It's critical to being a professional arranger. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, number three on our list is something that both Drew and I were able to do, which is to go study with a great arranger. Another way of putting that would be 
find a mentor. And for Drew and I, that came through the form of going to college. But that doesn't have to be the case. You know, college is expensive, and it doesn't work great for everybody. So we're not saying you have to go to this expensive music program. You, you don't have to get a degree necessarily, but that might be the, the route that's best for you. Another way you could do it, though, is something that I've done a number of times, which is if I find a, a great arranger that lives in my area, I'll take them out to lunch or I'll see if they want to hang out or I'll take a lesson from them or I'll go to their concerts and get to know them. I think that is the number one ticket into getting into the business is, is the relationships. And if you can go right to the source, the people that are doing what you want to do and get to know them and tell them that you respect them, I think you're going to not only learn a lot from them, but you're going to have a, a connection and an advocate for you that can recommend you for other work. One way to do this is to offer to be an assistant, to help out, be their copyist. Wasn't Maria Schneider Bob Brookmeyer's like assistant slash copyist for a number I of years? so. And so was Darcy James Argue, I know. Maria was also uh, an assistant for Gil Evans. Yes, that's right. That was her mentor for uh, one of her mentors and, and clearly had a huge influence on her. You need good teaching. Otherwise, you can be self-taught and there's a few people who are really good who are self-taught, but they're very few. It really helps to be to study with a great arranger and, or a mentor. And so we, we definitely highly recommend that. Number four is start your own ensemble. And if you're a jazz guy, it doesn't have to be a big band or a quartet. You can, you can think creatively. The more eclectic and crazy it is, the more considerations you have to take in as a writer and really think about what you're writing down. One thing I'm definitely going to say is that write for the musicians who are playing in your band. That's what Maria Schneider does. That's what Darcy James Argue does. That's what Duke Ellington does, Bob Brookmeyer, Thad Jones... Everybody, since the dawn of time, write, wrote for the musicians they knew, and that's what made the music speak, because it was a combination of the writer expressing what they wanted to express, filtered through a wonderfully talented and artistic performer. So, um, getting used to this, and getting away from the idea of you and your, you know, <laughs> compositional tower creating the best symphony ever heard to man, but then huh. no one can play it because it's too hard. Or maybe it's a great MIDI, but it's not really performed very well. It's because a lot of guys are out of touch with what performers are actually capable of doing. So starting your own band and writing for them really can solve a lot of problems down the road that many writers face. And another way of looking at this is there's that creative side that Drew was mentioning. It, it helps you as a composer to write more nuanced music and more mature music. But from a practical and promotional standpoint, if you're trying to break into the arranging scene, how are you going to do that if nobody's heard you do what you do? If nobody's heard your music, if nobody has seen you perform, I've met so many people with so much talent, with so much skill, with so much hard work, but they're afraid to take that next step and just put their music out there on the stage. That's one thing that I just really believe is essential is, you know what, we need to kind of fall on our face, even in small ways. We need to put ourselves out there and hey, you know, if something doesn't go perfect and maybe our composition needed this or that or the players didn't exactly play it the way we wanted them to, 
big deal. You build up these little experiences. And if you want people to know that you're an arranger, no better way than to just put something together, put a group together. Drew and I have both been doing that for years and years, and mm-hmm. it's great. You you actually create a lot of great memories with these people that are, are really wonderful people that play in your, in your group. But you also, you're creating a platform for your music to be heard, and I think that's invaluable. You never know. Maybe somebody who plays in your band has a friend who needs an arrangement, and they call you because of that. That's right. That's right. You just can't get enough experiences putting your music out there in front of people, and putting together your own band is a perfect way to do that. The next one comes completely out of starting your own band, and it's a very logical step. What's number five, Aaron? So number five on our list is you need to record and share your creations. This is something that is more accessible to us in the 21st century than it ever has been before, which is not to say that there's no obstacles to doing it, because there certainly are financial and logistical and all that. There are obstacles, but there's also more platforms and more technology that's accessible to us that we can access. So one example of this would be the traditional thing of creating your own CD or album. And Drew and I have both done that a number of times, and and we've played on other people's albums and stuff. And recording a CD is not what it used to be because the market is is leaning more towards the online thing. and Particularly videos and singles. Exactly. And there are some negative things about that in the sense that the traditional ways that people have been able to make a living selling CDs and gaining royalties and and so on and so forth have changed a lot and in some ways evaporated. And and there's Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot to lament there. But at the same time, we also have people like Jacob Collier or people that have found a way to use the online platforms to their advantage. But think about someone like Jacob Collier or somebody else who who puts their music online and gains a, a really substantial following from that. They would be the same talented musician without doing that. But the difference between them becoming successful in their career and them making music for themselves at home is the fact that they shared it. That's it. Right, exactly. And yes, do do people write mean comments on YouTube? Absolutely. And <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I think it's really stupid that people do that. But my hats are off to anybody who puts their stuff up there and just kind of deals with that criticism because, you know, not everybody's going to like what you do, but you have to share your creations. You have to do it. Like, if you are serious about this, if you're not just doing it as a hobby, you have to put it out there. That's exactly right. Using social media, YouTube, SoundCloud, um, Twitter, Facebook, all these things, they're seen as kind of a nuisance in the music for us musicians because it's oh, we have to do this. But in reality, that's what's going to put you in the minds of people who will potentially hire you. People hire those who they've recently interacted with or they've seen in their work. So if you share a video or recording, you're you're putting yourself at the forefront of people's minds. This flows right into number six, which is a place where you can consolidate all of your recordings is a website and making a, a demo reel. Demo reels are not as common, but you can still make a little, a compilation of, you know, your compositions. So yeah, you're not, you're not as much sending out a demo reel to people as much as you are sending an MP3 with lots of different things on it, potentially. We should mention that 
a website almost never gets you a gig, but being referred to a website from a friend or from a YouTube link helps establish your credibility in the scene. People say, oh, this guy's legit. He has a website. It looks pretty good. There's a calendar here. There's a contact. And oh, look, this is his bio. This is what kind of stuff he's done. Again, it seems like something, oh, you know, do I really need to do this in the 21st century? Absolutely. Even if it doesn't look fantastic, something there I think is better than nothing unless it totally looks trashy or whatever, and then it could actually hurt you. (laughs) Right. But I think uh, making a website, once you have some recordings and posting them up there, spending a little bit of time to massage the layout is a really wonderful thing. I know, Aaron, you do all of your own website design. I I paid someone to do it because I just don't know about that stuff, but it's, it's not that hard from what I understand, right? Well, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm a website designer, but I use the, the Weebly templates and then I do the drag and drop format that they provide for you to kind of lay out my own. So yeah, I, I don't really do the technical side of it. I just use the tools they give you and the templates they give you. And that brings me to one of the points that I was going to make about this. And there's a million reasons that you might be telling yourself, yeah, I shouldn't get a website. One of them might be, am I really good enough to have a website? Like, who really wants to go to my website anyways? Look, I get that. And we all have that sense of insecurity as people and as artists, certainly. But I think everybody Mm -hmm. in the world has insecurities, right? So yes, yes, you might be saying that to yourself. And I would just say to that, just do it. And have a platform where you can put your stuff up there because you're going to get better over time. And just taking that first step to put your music out there in the public, I think, will change your mentality. Now I'm an artist. Now I'm putting content out there for people to to look at. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you might be thinking about, I don't know if I need a website, is... You might see all these really, really fancy websites with amazing photography and these absolutely expensively produced videos. And you might just think, I, I can't do that. I, I can't afford that or, or I don't know what to do, how to get started. And I would just say, don't even compare yourself to those types of websites because mm-hmm. if we all had the money to do that, that would be great. But the reality is there's so many easy ways to create a simple and clean website that just presents your material. I think it's great when people can create that really, really fancy and visually appealing website. But what's the point of a website? It's to present who you are to the world so that people who are looking to hire you for whatever it is or looking to purchase your music or looking to see when you're touring next can find that information. So... A website's a place where you have your biographical information, what degrees you got, where you went to school, who you've played with. On my website, I have my curriculum vitae, vitae, curriculum vitae, mm-hmm. well, however you pronounce that. Your CV. <laughs> yes, your CV, that's right. So that I can apply for jobs and people can download that off of my website. I have photos so that if people want to see who I am and, and what, what my vibe is, they can see that. Examples of videos and, and SoundCloud links. And for me, I just, I, I view it as a way for people to see who I am. It's like kind of my musical output summarized in a singular location so that people can kind of, they can look at me and, and see if they want to hire me, basically. So I would say don't let those obstacles stand in your way. I mean, it, you can spend as little as you know, 20 bucks to 
to get a domain and a website, or even maybe less than that. If right. you just use the drag-and-drop templates and spend a little time on it. We live in a cool age where everybody can create a, a pretty decent-looking website. Yes, it's one of the advantages, definitely. Number seven, as we get into it, I, I just want to say that I recently did a entrepreneurship talk at UNT, my alma mater, which was really fun. Uh, but it really forced me to think about some of the things that I do in a business sense that has advanced uh, career. And this next point, number seven, really hits home on some of your entrepreneurial skills. And some someone asked me, what's the what's the biggest music entrepreneurship skill that you feel like has been an asset to your career? And I would say that of building relationships with people and being able to interact with people and and hold a good conversation and look people in the eye and a handshake and these they seem superficial but it's it's how you treat your friends you know like your your friends are the people who you love and cherish and so how you do that with people you don't know how you form those relationships has a direct impact on you as your business because as a freelancer for some of you who are going to go into that you need to make these relationships with people. Some people call it networking, and that's that seems like a dirty word, but I, I like to just think of it as developing relationships. So whether it's with musicians or school directors or friends or producers, or but getting people to trust you and your music is not just tied to your music, but it's tied to who you are. Never underestimate the power of a good hang, particularly with coffee or beer. <laughs> That's uh, that can be a really great way of developing our uh, our networks is by going out together and and hanging out. So it's really important to hang with people and get to know them and go beyond the music, go into friendship, and everyone starts to care for one another. You you care for your friends. You hire them for a gig. Your friends care for you, and they want to be involved on your projects. It's it's all tied together. I mean, look, Drew knows me very well, and. I am definitely an introvert, and Drew, I would say, is definitely an extrovert. So Drew and I are on completely <laughs> opposite ends of the personality spectrum and how we relate to other people. And as an introvert, you know, sometimes I struggle to be outgoing with people and to go out and, and be around a, a big crowd or go to a concert and have to socialize all night. Because for me, that's very tiring and exhausting, but I still do it anyways because it First of all, usually the hardest step is just leaving the house and going somewhere. Mm. And once I'm there, you know, I strike up some conversations and I have a good time. But I, I've discovered over the years that to network doesn't mean, or to develop these relationships doesn't mean to, you don't have to be anything that you're not. You don't have to be some, mm. you know, TV personality with a gleaming smile and a sparkle in your eyes and you know, everything you say is magical to everyone around you. I mean, sometimes we kind of have that weird thing in our minds. Oh, I, I, I'm not very good at socializing. I'm not very good at uh, networking with other people. And hmm. and I would say that that's where I've struggled the most with this as somebody who is, I, I, I'm more of a kind of an understated guy. I'm not really a, you know, super high energy kind of guy all the time. And And then after a while, I started to realize, you know what? Maybe that's just okay. Like maybe people just want to see who you really are. If you're someone who is high energy and that's who you are, that's fantastic. Be that. 
If you're somebody who is thoughtful and quiet and studious, then be that and just have conversations in your normal personality. I think people people really find that refreshing. And I think there's room for all the personalities in the spectrum. I, I think that's the beauty of being part of a community is that we can all add to each other's strengths and weaknesses. If everyone was the same, it would just, you know, we'd be stepping on each other's toes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look at the Beatles, you know, a group of four guys, and they were all different personalities. You have, you know, George was kind of the quiet one, and then you have John Lennon and uh, Paul McCartney, more of the extroverts up there. And, and even within them, you have different personalities. So we need different personality types. Don't be afraid to be yourself around other people. That's right. That's good. That's good, Aaron. Yeah, I, it's it's funny. I would I would say Aaron is my best friend, or definitely one of my best friends, and it's it's wonderful because we can share a lot of these experiences while still coming at it, coming at music from not only different musical perspectives but just different personalities. And so it just I think it not, it's not only a testament to our friendship, Aaron, but also just to um, how different personalities and different skill sets and uh, different preferences can does, doesn't mean that you're excluded from the musical community. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of the great composers in history uh, and musicians in history have had tons of different personality types. I mean, there have been mm-hmm. really quiet guys and really outgoing extroverted guys. And, and Drew, yeah, I mean, our relationship is, is wonderful because we are different and we, are, we have a dynamic working relationship with each other. We can balance each other out in, in, in a lot of ways. So, uh, yeah. so I completely agree. Thanks, buddy. So not to completely contradict ourselves with the last one, but uh, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> number eight is, uh, is to enter competitions. And so obviously that sounds like it's kind of against the whole community-oriented um, you know, talk we were just talking about. But actually entering a competition to me is just another form of community. And if you're really genuine about it, you're entering competitions not to cut other people down or not to, you know, show that you're better than everybody else, but you're entering them to put your music out there and to get some feedback and, you know, hopefully you win an award and you can put it on your resume, you can put it on your website and get some more work using that. And and sometimes you end up just meeting other people along the way. So mm-hmm. Drew and I have both entered a number of contests throughout the years We've both had some success in, in some of those, and we've both heard no from a lot of them, too. And that's... That's right. You that's know, right. I mean, if you, go to, if you go to anybody's website, you're going to see the highlight reel, right? And you're going to go, man, that guy has everything going for him. That guy... You go to someone's website, and they've played with this guy and this guy, and they've won this award and that award. But what they don't say is, so-and-so has been told no a hundred times. Right. And, and I think it's really important, and I always try to... When I, when I talk about this, I always try to make sure to emphasize the fact that I have been rejected for far more competitions that I've entered than anything that I've won or quote-unquote won. I, it feels weird to say as an artistic form that you're winning anything, but, right. but uh, that I've been selected for, let's put it that way. And I think I've become a better composer through those ones that I've received rejection from because it it forced me to go, oh, maybe that piece wasn't as great as I thought. 
maybe there are a lot of people out there who have more experience than me. And it's it's very humbling, and it, it puts you in your place in the world and, and kind of gives you an idea mm-hmm. of, of, you know, where you fit in, and, and, uh, and it motivates you to get better, honestly. Yeah. Like I said at the top of the last episode, I got selected to go to the Metropole Orchestra, but I originally was rejected. So that really forced me to think about what I was doing and what kind of pieces I should send in to get selected when it's a soul artist, because I sent in some swinging stuff. Fortunately, due to my luck, someone dropped out, and so I'm, I get to go. So I got to get the benefit of both. I'm going and doing this wonderful uh, workshop, but I also got the experience of no for a while and was introspective and thought about a lot of things. So you'll only improve by entering competitions, whether you win or not. And furthermore, it, it just forces you to write something. Sometimes we're sitting on the couch or wherever, and it's just like, I could write this piece, but I'm not gonna. So this kind of forces you to, to get off your butt and, and, and write something, puts you in a spot where it forces you to do that, so... Well, you know, I I, uh, I entered into the, the Monk Saxophone Jazz Competition probably five years ago now, and, and I, you know, I didn't make the cut for the first round, but what was really beautiful about it was I had to put a, together a demo reel of these tunes of varying natures, and by practicing those tunes, preparing for the recording, knowing that this is such a high-level competition, it really forced me to start to think about myself as being, okay, now I, I can't have any excuses to um, not play these changes very well because I'm, I'm entering a realm where these very, very high-level players are going to be also entering, and I want to be able to have as much of a chance as I can. And that really motivated me. It, it motivated me to have to practice more, and I think that's the whole point. You know, in my mm. opinion, awards should never be where we get our self-worth ever. And we'll struggle with that. But I, I, I think it's more about the process of going through it and learning from it. Number nine kind of follows up in our network and relationship category and the competition category. It's both because what we're recommending is, is joining formal music organizations. Composers Forum... ASCAP, BMI, the Union, and other online associations, grants, competitions, social events, networking opportunities are often set up through these types of organizations. And being in the know for what's going on, when and where, and being connected to the arranger community at large, which is really what this show is, we're trying to do that as well, not just espouse our own opinions, but connect the arranging community at large and be a board of discussion so people can discuss and hopefully people can get something out of it, our podcast that is. But we're a very small organization. We're growing, <laughs> but we're, we're small. So Aaron is an ASCAP guy, and so am I. You know, I'm a member of the union down here in Dallas, which I think is very important. And there's all sorts of other kinds of organizations, Facebook groups, and other uh, groups in your communities that are unique to your city, no doubt. And this is a, a great way to get involved in the arranging community and network. Certainly. And I'm, I'm also a member of, of our local union here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. I am also a member of the Minnesota Music Coalition, which is kind of a, 
a fairly new organization that's sort of uh, an effort to provide support and opportunities for the music community here, which is, is, I think, a really fantastic thing. I'm also a member of the American Composers Forum. So there's lots of organizations mm. out there. And another good one, if you're a jazz player or arranger, is the Jazz Education Network. Jen, yes, yes, yes. So there's a lot of these types of things. If you're into video game music, there's the Game Audio Network Guild, which they abbreviate to gang, (laughs) which is, well. So there's a lot of these things, and I've found that they are helpful, and they help you get connected with people. We live in a Mm -hmm. social world, and these are just platforms and places where you can get to know some new people. Aaron, want to hit us with number 10? Yeah, baby. Last one. Last one. Find your niche. That is our last one. Find your niche. And I think it's a good last one because all of those things above, if you whittle it all down, at the end of the day, you know, we all have our little corner that we find, or maybe we have a couple of different corners that we live in, but there's a lot of different working opportunities out there, and we can't do them all. We have to find our niche. Yes, right. No two people are identically talented. Everyone has their musical skill sets that, that sets you apart. And so, you know, if you grew up in Brazil, you're going to have a knowledge of Brazilian music that many other people won't. And even though Brazilian music is very loved and adored and respected and emulated all over the world, you will bring a your niche to that. So whatever you write will probably have some semblance of a Brazilian flavor to it. It might not, but more than likely it'll have something in there. And so use this to your advantage. Use it to set yourself apart, to get opportunities that you wouldn't ordinarily. You don't have to be from a particular country. You could be from just a a particular community. Or perhaps you have a different skill set. You play a really unique instrument that nobody else plays. Or you're really into a specific artist. You know, like say you're a, a scholar on the music of, oh, I don't know, Jacob Collier, <laughs> we mentioned him earlier in the show, or or somebody, it doesn't really matter, Chris Potter, Maria Schneider, it doesn't matter. The fact that you're an expert on their music will make you valuable in certain circles and give you an advantage. Not that it's all about getting an advantage, but as a businessman or woman, you want to be able to use your skills to their maximum potential. You mentioned that you might be Um, from a certain community or you might happen to live in a certain community that has a unique style of music or a unique, you know, opportunity that is not present everywhere else. I mean, if you go to Los Angeles, for example, you have a unique ability to um, work in the Hollywood scene, right? That's right. You know, you can't do that from most other cities, at least not in the same capacity. If you go to New York City, you're going to be around the highest concentration of jazz musicians in the world. Each area provides their own niche. If you go to Nashville, there's a lot of pop music and country music and singer-songwriters. If you're interested in that, maybe that's a place Mm -hmm. to look into. I know Drew and I have both found some niches for ourselves here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul. You know, there's some good variety of music, but there's there's some indie rock artists that I've worked with. Mm. There's some, some folks that have hired me to do jazz stuff because even though jazz doesn't have the same market that it used to, every once in a while there will be a show that needs a jazz arranger. And because that's my particular area of training... 
every once in a while I'll get those opportunities because of that. Or or let's say you're like the electronic music guy, you know, someone that really likes to do electronic music and you become known for that and people start calling you to do that. What's great about finding your niche is that it can actually be the thing that you love the most. You know, you don't have to force yourself to try to find a niche that's not natural to you. You can make your niche out of what you're actually interested in. That's right. Or like Mike Nelson, for example. He started doing funk horn arrangements and, and really working in the in the pop industry and R&B. And that has really become a niche for him, even though he's fully capable of arranging other styles and for other instrumentations. He's found a lot of success in that realm because he took advantage of the niche that was there. Yeah, and all of us can do the same. Don't, no matter where you are, it helps to be around other musicians where they're talented, which is why a lot of people end up moving to cities like Los Angeles, Nashville, New York, Seattle, uh, Chicago, Twin Cities, Dallas, Fort Worth, Paris, London, Tokyo, Shanghai, you name it. That's why a lot of musicians move there, because the community's there and your ability to find your niche within those communities. But that's definitely, like you said, Aaron, a good summary of what we've been talking about for this whole thing. The music industry loves personality. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you have to have a crazy personality, but we're drawn to people who we can associate with or we're drawn to their music, whatever it is, and find out what that is for you. 100%. 100%. Folks, hopefully this has been a really insightful episode for you that you can take these 10 tips and perhaps you've thought about some of them but not others and hopefully they can help you become a little more of a well-rounded arranger and put you into a, a spot where you can start to do this as a living if that's what you desire. These are our 10 thoughts. They're certainly not the only ways you can get a start in the music business. If you have other ideas, share them with us. Email us, post on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or our Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. This is all about creating community. We want to provide more opportunities for everybody to work with each other and to get opportunities for their own careers. So feel free to share that with us. We'd love to hear from you on anything you have. And thanks for listening. Episode 10 is down and we're moving on up. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Talk to you all soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Email us your questions at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to find us on Facebook and on Twitter with the handle at thearrangerspod. Happy writing and hope to see you next time.